Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation 19. The message is titled, It Gets Better From Here. Usually I say the last time we covered this, but now I'm doing it a little bit different. So the good news is that in Revelation 19, 20, 21, etc., it gets much more um, positive, hopeful. Um, unfortunately, as the expression goes, the bad news has to come first before the good news. So we're in 2021, and um, you know that. <laughs> and we, the earth has to move towards this global system, right? Uh, it just has to happen. Um, God doesn't prefer it to happen because the Antichrist is seated on that system, and he is also known as a great charismatic global leader. So you see where this is going. Um, so how do we get from here to the Lord returning? Unfortunately, the earth has to go through a difficult seven-year tribulation time period where this great global leader, who's also a fascist, uh, takes his seat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... Okay, let me back up for a minute. The last four Sundays we covered uh, the whole systems of man, right? Uh, humankind, the corruption that's infiltrated governments, kingdoms, uh, you know, even big tech, the media, whatever you want to call it, both parties in our country, there's this, this corrupt system. And the chapter 17 and 18 described that, and we covered that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of wrap up um, what we see in the world, especially in the last year, and how this is becoming accelerated, and how, because you, if I talk to the average Christian as a pastor, I say, well, how do you think we get from 2021 to, how does the earth, and I keep saying the earth because I'm going to cover that, how does the earth get to a place where even the, the sovereign United States, Europe, allows one man to rise to power and basically have so much control? And a lot of Christians, if they don't know Revelation well, they can't connect those dots. Well, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to connect those dots. And we saw this in the last two chapters. So I'm going to go over... Some things that happened in the last year, some things that happened in the last few weeks. It's really, we're on the accelerated program. And when we're done, I'm going to tell you what everything I just said has in common. So we're going to start. Abortions. Um, so apparently now, recently, we're funding not only abortions in our country, but throughout the world. Right? And you might say, well, why don't we just do it here? Well, there's a reason for that. Okay? Censorship. Censorship is like a, a monster that's not, it can't be, there's no satiation. It, it, it has a never-ending appetite. And lately, in the last few weeks, et cetera, maybe months, uh, censorship has come upon Christian ministries. There's some Christian ministries that can't get a platform on the Internet. Um, some people I know have put up scripture. Fact checkers, you know, the fact checker police come and they tell you why Jesus isn't the only way, right? So you, this is, we live in a world where fact checkers fact check the Bible. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, so you got that. That that plays a big part in the global um, billionaire oligarchy scheme that pretty much have a hand in everything that happens. D.C. statehood, very important. That's coming. Um, and there's things that 
pertain to that. The EOs that affect the CCP and, and global organizations, HR1, there's another thing that's coming down the pike, and I'm throwing a whole conglomerate at you, and then I'm going to give you, I'm going to boil it down to what I'm talking about. The Iran deal, the balance of power has shifted. Uh, it was before it was more geared toward the uh, Arabian Peninsula, the Sunnis, and their alliance with Israel. Now we're back in the Iran deal, which shifts the power from the Sunnis to the Shiite, and I've covered that. And that whole Shiite crescent. Uh, Blinken, I forgot his first name, Michael Blinken, uh, one of the uh, president's administrators, said that Iran will have a nuclear weapon in the next few weeks. Okay, so let me tell you this, because I study what happens overseas. If that's the case, Israel will strike again before they get that nuclear weapon for self-protection, and we don't know what that's going to start. I'm not trying to frighten anybody, by the way, because this stuff, the Lord has it all wired. This is just basically a recap of what we covered, where the world is going, and then how the Lord is going to, you know, fix everything. And I feel bad for people who don't know the Lord because they look at the news every day and they're like, well, this is a scary world. It is a scary world. So we'll continue. I kind of did this alphabetically. The Keystone Pipeline has implications of bringing the Western world back into the global market for energy, and there's a reason for that. Um, the for Paris Accord, basically, as we look at that, we see that it's, it's a startup for another global infrastructure, bureaucracy, etc. cetera. Uh, SCOTUS reform, the legislature is toying with deciding how they're going to manipulate a co-equal and independent uh, branch of government, which is the judiciary, okay, which is problematic for one to talk about how they're going to fix the other. Uh, now, n not all these things have happened. A lot of them have, if you've watched the news, but not all of them have happened yet. The Let's go to W. <laughs> We're back in the WHO, who pretty much ran for cover and hid the CCP, CCP's involvement and their whole uh, administration in dealing with the coronavirus. So WHO, we used to give them $100 million every year. Unfortunately, that's become political. Uh, weak local law enforcement. We've seen this over the last year. The weakening of local law enforcement. I was a police officer for 25 years um, in exchange for strengthening the federal presence. Okay. And the last thing, which is probably the most important, is the World Economic Forum. Look this up when you get home. If anybody's not convinced and you're like, you know, I don't know where you're going, Pastor Joe, with this, but I'm a little skeptical. Well, let's talk. Because I'm going to tell you what all of this has in common. World Economic Forum, the Davos agenda. I've mentioned Davos before. And people are like, what's Davos? Well, you know, I was just messing around. And, and these are legitimate websites of these global forums. And you have people from our country who don't really have a loyalty to this country. They have a loyalty to the globalist movement. World Economic Forum, look up the Great Reset. There's a financial reset. Reset. Now, these people actually speak about changing the whole monetary system into a global monetary system. If you haven't heard this stuff, you need to look it up. Um, you have very powerful people from prominent countries that meet together and decide. Remember, when you're a, a power, it's not just, it isn't about wealth. I'm not one of those eat the rich people. But when you become so powerful, right, and you become so wealthy and you don't have God, you have your own God complex. So they're deciding now how America and a lot of these countries are going to fit in with this globalist movement. 
think about this. I was an economics major in college. We're up to, I don't know, I, I stopped counting after like 23. What are we up to, $25 trillion in debt? So this is what that does, an economics major. When you, there's going to be this sweet spot or this magic number. When we hit that number, the dollar's not going to be worth anything, Okay. Now, think about the World Economic Forum and, and the global reset and the global monetization. Now you see what's going on. You think that they're going to pay for your college loans. You think they're just going to keep... Listen, we have money going. They, they can't spend it and print it fast enough. It's going overseas. It's going to these remote locations. Where's all this money going? It's done purposely because when the dollar crashes... The people who are very well off uh, and have assets and, and real estate, etc., they're going to be insulated. For the rest of us, again, it's, it's, it's open. It's like Satan knows that his time is short. So these things are being, they used to be like conspiracy stuff. Now it's being said openly by these powerful people. They have to reset the global monetization system so that we and Europe and everybody else all have the same currency. You see where this is going? So two things. The first step is to remove um, a sort of uh, influence, power from states and voters, centralize it, federalize it. That's the first step. The second step is now to globalize it, right? I worked for local government for 25 years. It's tough enough to try to address local issues with your township, etc. It gets more difficult when you try to address your issues with your state. It gets even more issues when you try to address your issues federally. You see what happens? The higher we go, there's more of a disconnect with the average person. Wait till we go to the global system. You have a complaint about the UN and how we jumped into some, you know, uh, attenuation of our First, Second, and Fourth Amendment. Who are you going to complain to? You're going to take a plane and fly to Switzerland and complain to somebody over there? So this, again, to the average Christian, they're like, I don't understand how this happens. How could the world be so stupid to fall into this? It's really not stupidity. It's a concentration of power. And the Antichrist will take advantage. Now, he, I believe he's alive today. I don't know who he is. The Lord hasn't tipped me off. I can tell you that he's charismatic. He's a great orator. He has a silver tongue. And he is going to use all these global platforms to seat himself. And it's going to be for the good, right? For the good of the health of the world. For the good of the monetary system of the world. And we've seen some of this stuff happen in Europe with some growing pains. So there's a lot to this, folks. Um, today, and, <laughs> this is just, I don't want to make this an hour long. It won't be, trust me. But, you know, even some of these movies, when I was a kid, 1984, how many people read 1984 by George Orwell? How do these people know this stuff? The censorship, the one thought, the group think. Remember, you, we have to be shifted into this platform, and this is the way you do it. Um, it's almost like Hollywood sort of knows these things, whether it's 1984, Orwellian, whether it's The Matrix, whether it's Divergent, Divergence. Um, you see this, this sad future of a world that is not independent anymore. They just, everybody thinks the same. They're put in classes, right? Um, their jobs and everything is decided for them. Um, so this is, this is where the world is going. But there is good news, and I'm going to get to that. Okay, so don't leave now or shut your TV off. You've got to wait for the good news. We're going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in, Revelation 19. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, 
Remember how I said how God intersperses in this book some of the depressing reality with what goes on in heaven and the excitement and the hope that we can look forward to? Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot, symbolic, who corrupted the earth with her fornication, symbolic, um, it's a, is a metaphor there, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. That's actually literal, and we covered that. Again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice from the throne Uh, voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Listen, I don't do it justice. I try to put a little emphasis in it, but I'm sure what John heard, and you see what he does in verse 10 when we get to it, I think he has sensory overload. He's just a human being. But he's seeing these magnificent things happen in the heavenlies. But one out of four is praise God for true justice. Now, I mix in apologetics with my messages. I mix in history. I mix in geopolitics. I mix a lot of stuff in because I think we need to know all this stuff, right? We need to have a wide variety in our spiritual diet. So he says, verse 1, after these things, the phrase in the Greek is metatauta, which literally means chronology and succession. So when we were in chapter one, I talked about the proper way to interpret revelation. And some people might say, well, that's your way. No, it isn't my way. God put these words here specifically. Meta tauta. So what God is saying is, let's see, if you're facing me, it's time goes from left to right. Okay. I'll start over here. Uh, It's just how our brains work, linear time, right? Left to right. So God will say, well, well, this happens in, in the Roman Empire, metatauta, and then these things happen, metatauta, and then there's this seven-year depressing period in the earth's history, metatauta, and then look, I looked up to heaven and these are the things I saw. So when people say, well, I just spiritualize all of Revelation, that's the lazy way to interpret the scripture because God is basically telling you that there's chronology and succession in what he's showing us. He's, God is ministering to how our brains were designed and how they work versus how God sees everything at the same time. God can look at this whole book and we would be like, ah, you know, remember there was no chapter delineation. So there had to be something to take the reader and to help them understand the succession so they didn't get it wrong. Revelation is not supposed to be some mystery that we don't know. Revelation is something God wants us to know. Amen? Okay. Everybody's awake. That is awesome. If not, I'm just going to yell louder. Uh, Verse 1, he says, Salvation, glory, honor, and power to the Lord our God. Why is that important? Because we just came off of such a depressing system where power is given to man and women today. And we see that in our culture. Social media, you're the king of the world because a thousand people liked your post. They actually prove that um, when you get likes and loves on your social media post, there's like a dopamine response in the brain. It becomes addicting. So we are raising a generation, and I'm not just talking about the young people. I'm talking about people my age and older. We're raising a culture of narcissists. 
We are all the, the kings of our own kingdoms and queens. And it gets to the point where we, we worship, and I don't say we as maybe us in the church, but our culture worships ball players and celebrities and Hollywood people and politicians now. They're worshipped. Man worship. The Antichrist is going to be the pinnacle of that man worship. How do we get there, Pastor Joe? It's very easy. Follow the scripture. It's going to lead you there, okay? It always does. So, right? Narcissism, self-worship. But here it says God is the only one who truly deserves this worship, including not ourselves. We don't deserve the worship for ourselves. God deserves this worship. You wonder, it's a world that's increasingly pulling away from Judeo-Christian values because it says things like deny yourself, Look out for others. Don't put yourself first. Well, who wants that? That's competing against the culture. And it it loses sometimes. And it's sad because people lose when they go in that direction. Two, true and righteous are his judgments as as opposed to the corrupt institutions of humankind. You know what's funny? Um, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, and I've said this in my sermons, both tell their followers why don't you settle your differences on the road before you go to court, <laughs> right? Listen, I've been in federal court. I've been in, I've been in county court. I've been in local court. You can go with the same case, right? I got some law enforcement people in here from one judge to another, to another, to a jury, to a jury, and you can get, you can get mixed results. It's the same case. So even the Lord knew and the apostle Paul knew you're better off if you've wronged somebody, you know what? Apologize, make it right. Forgive somebody who's wronged you. If you rip somebody off, try to repay them back. Right? These are simple Christian principles that Jesus and the Apostle Paul, and I lived it for 25 years. So I would tell people, you don't want to find yourself in a courtroom because you never know what you're going to get. The average person could literally be guilty of an offense. But if a politician does it or somebody with a high-powered attorney, sometimes it's not even investigated. It's just the way it is. Corrupt institutions of humankind. Why? Because we have sinners running these things with biases. You don't think um, judges and, and you know, politicians have biases? Sure they do. They're human beings. If they're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what's going on up there. So we, we covered this in the last two chapters. Verse 2, the great harlot, which we covered, was judged. Now, I love to paint myself in a corner. That's probably why I like doing Q&As. I love the way the Lord kind of helps me to understand things, a large picture. But some may say, Pastor Joe, I read the former scripture, and it said that the ten horns of the beast destroyed the harlot, and now it's saying that God did it. Pastor Vinny taught a sermon a few Sundays ago where he talked about Israel going into battle, and they had three separate enemies, and God allowed those three separate armies to turn on each other in confusion, and the Israelites were saved. I I also talked about this when I talked about Jonathan going up the hill to fight with the Philistines. Two guys against 20. There was a confusion. So in this situation, God uses the Ten Horns or the Ten Nation Federation of this sort of European Union um, that, and again, this is a future event that destroys this, this false religious system. And we talked about all the reasons for that. I don't want to repeat it. Um, and I got to tell you, folks, it's, it's kind of sad because I have friends, and, and I'm, <laughs> some of them are watching the sermon. I have friends that I rekindled with 
um, college friends. And gee, I'm old. I haven't been to college in like 30 years. I, I get to look at how we've all aged over the years. Don't get old. It's not fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm trying to witness to them, and it's great. I get a lot of inboxes, and I get texts, and, hey, we, we listen to your sermon. That's great. But I also have other ones that, that they're just so married to this world. And when you're married to this world and you love this world, listen, we're supposed to love people, but the world system, it becomes our utopia. And God is very clear in First John that if you love the world, the love of the Father is in, in, in you. And we all have friends and loved ones that they're nominally religious. They kind of hedge their bets, but they love this world. And that's a really sad thing. And I'm forever trying to lead people to Jesus and get them out of this system, get their, their minds and their spirit to move from loving this utopia to loving God. And, and you can't have it both ways. Verse 2, the apostate religious system, the political global economic system, both persecuted true Christians. And we talked about this. If you look at I love to study history, and, and I, I get concerned because I know a lot of teachers, and even during COVID, um, they had so many things to teach that they had to prioritize that in some schools, history was just kind of on the chopping block. And histories, you know, I just remember when my, my son would bring home his history books, and I would read through his books and say, hey, they didn't put this in. Hey, you should know about that. 20th century history is very rich. What you find in 20th century history is when these uh, oppressive, fascist, uh, communist, and different regimes would come in, one of the first people on the chopping block were Christians because we're in the way of their progress, and I put that in quotes. And, and we've talked about this. As Christians, we, we say to the culture, wait a minute, um, harvesting fetal tissue and, uh, you know, from abortions and then increasing abortions so you can have more fetal. This is wrong. And a lot of people are ticked off at us. And, and I've seen scientists, godless scientists, who, who have a disdain for Christianity because we're trying to be that salt, that preserve. This is bad. It was bad when uh, Dr. Mengele did this in World War II. It's, it's just as bad today. This isn't something we should be doing. So throughout history, these oppressive godless systems that came into power, Watchman Nee, the famous Chinese evangelist, died in a rotting, stinking communist prison. Right? We read about the devotions, and it's, 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 it's beautiful, it's enjoyable, but we have to realize that some of these people, they didn't make it because they were silenced. You see where I'm going with this? I talked about the book Dark Agenda, about an agenda in the United States. You know, Bill Maher recently, I, I listened to his comments about Christianity. They're trying to lump us in with the, the new enemies of the state or the enemies list, and I, you can read his quote for yourself. And I, I had to laugh. And I... It, See, I don't preach this stuff with fear. I'm fine with whatever the Lord's going to do. But Bill Maher, um, he's very smug and snarky. And he said, oh, you know, those Christians, they have that book of Revelation. I said, I told my wife, that's funny. I'm teaching in Revelation. I like to talk to Bill Maher and educate him on, oh, uh, conspiracy theories. Revelation's not a conspiracy theory. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. Bill Maher is ignorant. <laughs> so if you're going to attack a group, at least learn a little something about the group. But there's so much ignorance in our society, so much misinformation, because people don't take the time to examine it. And there's plenty of people, and I hope Bill Maher does this and reads Revelation, that have gotten saved, that were atheists, that started to read the Bible to disprove it, and they realize this is the truth. 
All you got to do is go back and forth to history and see, and you say, 1,900 years ago, how could he know all these things were going to happen? How could he know about the rise and fall of kingdoms? It's impossible unless God told him these things. So there's a lot. There's a lot about technology. There's um, satellite technology in here. There's um, computers. There's holographs. There's so much stuff that Revelation speaks about that people would say there's no way this could be true until the 20th century. And they're like, wow, this stuff is coming fast. This prophecy is really getting fulfilled. So much in here. I get very excited. Uh, so, <laughs> so sadly, too, and let me just say this as well, that when I talk about the corrupt world system, remember, there were two systems that Satan used to corrupt the human world or since sin entered the world. One was a, a religious system, right? There's false religions all over the place, false teachings, cults. Um, they do terrible things to their followers. And then the other bifurcation, the other branch of that is the secular world, what you do when you go to work, what your, your life with your family, right? So there's this corruption in both sides. And what had to happen is uh, whatever God does, Satan tries to, to duplicate. God wants our hearts. He wants our lives. He wants our thoughts. He wants us to communicate with him. But Satan looks at what God does and says, you know what, if I can pull those people against God, maybe I can replicate that. However, there are systems of the world that don't teach these powerful uh, pictures and promises of, of God. So the rapture or the harpazo, the Lord coming for his faithful at an unannounced time. Uh, millennialism that just kind of, well, the millennialism is sort of like a symbolic thing and it, there's really not a thousand years and they discount a lot of things that take place in the millennial uh, kingdom or excuse me, the, the, yes, the millennial, the thousand year period. So my question is why would even some churches from the pulpit teach a very surface, Sunday after Sunday surface, um, you know, topical, stay away from certain parts of the scripture, because maybe there's a love of the world that's infected that church as well, or that denomination. Maybe they're doing too well. And let me just share something with you, because I'm always honest about my failings. And as a new believer, I was in my uh, mid to late 20s. I come to the Lord. I have the job that I always wanted, um, you know, getting married, um, getting ready to raise a family. And I got to be honest with you, when a preacher would preach, the Lord could come at any time. The Lord has a timetable. I'm just going to be completely transparent right now with you. I thought, well, I hope that doesn't happen soon. I hope the Lord waits. I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I'm too honest. Well, hopefully he'll wait maybe 10, 15 years until I get older because I, there was a part of me that loved the world. Isn't that crazy? So God says, I think this is the right time. And here I am as a Christian resisting that. So listen, I'm not just here to point fingers. I'm here to point fingers at myself too. It took me a long time to realize that the Lord's timing is always best. And he can come whenever he wants and I'm going to love it. I just don't realize it right now because I think I'm loving this world too much. So you look at some of these doctrines. Why is it that Jesus taught about, and we're going to cover communion today, um, you look at Matthew 26 and, and Mark 14, right? So many Christian churches partake of communion, and they should be because it's part of what Jesus mandated. But Jesus says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it with you, anew in the Father's kingdom. So Jesus is telling his followers during the institution of communion, 
I'm going to drink of the fruit of the vine again, but it's going to be in the Father's kingdom. It's going to be a much better time. Remember, he's going to the cross when he utters these things. So why do many denominations leave out the other 50%? Here's another one. John 14, again, before he goes to the cross, Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, speaking of his followers, in the Father's house, I will come again to receive you to myself. Why would you not teach that? Why would you teach communion? It's somber. Jesus is going to the cross. That's great. He died for our sins. Why would you not teach the rest of it? I don't want to get into psychology here, but maybe it's too much of the love of the world. Well, we don't want to. Maybe some uh, institutions of mankind, including religious institutions or empires, maybe they're doing so well on this earth that in their um, spiritual immaturity, they don't want to see the Lord come either. So there's a lot to this, folks. Verse 4, and the 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. I'm going to go somewhere and it's probably not where you think I'm going to go. But again, this is a problem when we covered the false religious institutions and how it's infected some of churches today and denominations, this is here. There's a lot of people who have titles and clergy titles, a priest, minister, pastor, whatever. In the 117th Congress, there was a prayer by a minister who's also a congressman. And at the end of it, he said, amen and a woman. How many of you have heard that? Okay. I'm going to really try to dance on the edge of being political, but I don't want to be political. I actually looked at the transcript of that whole prayer, and that actually wasn't the worst part. First of all, when you virtue signal in a prayer to other people around you, you're not praying to God anymore. You're talking to those people. You're either talking to God. When When I pray... I really don't care what anybody's doing here. I don't care if you're texting. I don't care if you're looking around. I don't care if you get up and go to the bathroom. Because in that moment when I pray, I'm talking to God. I don't pray for people. I pray because I want to talk to the Lord. That's what prayer is all about. So the other thing that was in that prayer was a virtue signal for the coexist movement. About he's known by many names. And it really was a, it wasn't a prayer to God as far as I'm concerned. I'll just, I'll just leave it at this. The word amen is... Probably not the best transliteration of the Hebrew. The Hebrew word, I looked it up, is amen. There's no men in it. It has nothing to do with men and women. It means that God is trustworthy. Don't politicize it. It's like taking the word butterfly and saying, well, that must be a fly made out of butter. It's a composite word. You can't take something that's been transliterated and make it something that it's not. So, amen? Amen. <laughs> But this is where we're going in this country. We're going into, and you know what's sad, and and I do, I'm not much of a movie guy or a TV guy, but every once in a while I'll watch, I don't know, flip, I watch the Food Channel. You know why? Because everything else on TV is so depressing. (laughs) So my wife and I watch the Cooking Channel. You watch Chopped or Beat Bobby Flay, or I'm like, I'm learning how to cook watching the Food Channel, you know what I'm saying? But my wife still won't let me in the kitchen. That's a little secret that I exposed because I don't, when she met me and I was a bachelor, I made the worst combination. So I'm still not allowed in the kitchen, but she's a good cook. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. I don't even know where I was going with that. But the point is that, is that, you know, I even forgot my point. That's why I have notes. The point is that, is that TV, you know, is just toxic. 
the evening news is toxic. They try to divide us. When you see um, some of these institutions that are supposed to be of God, they're not of God. Uh, and I know where I was going. When I watch some of these futuristic movies, it, they're depressing, right? Everyone's one class or they're just the, the working class and then the people that control the Hunger Games, all this stuff. Um, and it's, and I, I kind of get into the movie and I think to myself, that's so sad. But this, this happens in some countries and they're trying to bring it here. But it's really sad because, you know, when I talk about Bill Maher and some famous people who really have an axe to grind against biblical Christianity because we're in the way, is that some people's lives in some of these places, is it's depressing. It's like there's no way out physically. You know, you're born into a caste system. I study a lot of different cultures. There's no way out. The only thing that can give people hope is Jesus Christ, is, is the word. In China, in the underground church, in North Korea, my goodness, what those poor Christians go through. In some regions in Africa, um, I mean, they're hunted down. They literally, Bibles are illegal. They take pages, they memorize them, and they share them with each other when they meet. It's incredible. Like, we, we probably, I have like 15 Bibles at home, all different ones and study Bibles, but I'm illegally allowed to have them. But in these countries, they'll, they'll memorize a chapter and when they get together, they're amazing. Brother, the first guy, he, he preaches that chapter that he uh, memorized. Then the next person, the sister comes up and she, she shares chapter two. And this is how they have their Bible. They can take it away from them physically, but they can't take it away from here. So, you know, Jesus is the way. I, I'm, I'm concerned and I pray on a regular basis for revival because I'm concerned where our country is going. It, it's taking the hope out of this world. Because the secular humanists, the powerful people who run everything, there's no hope there. There's just sadness and, and desolation. And that's why we're in this book, because the title is It Gets Better From Here. And I know you keep saying, Joe, could you just move to the part where it gets good? You're depressing me. So I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm almost there. I'm halfway through here. Uh, so, so verse 6, there's a great multitude in heaven. Uh, can you imagine? No sections, divisions. Today we're all divided into ethnic groups and how we vote and how much money we have. And when you look at heaven, there's just, it's a monolith of believers. You know, we're all brothers and sisters. There's nothing that separates us. One person's not over another. And even Jesus spoke about the Nicolaitans in Revelation and how he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans because in the church, what was happening was a class system that was happening in the world. And Jesus said, I forbid that. So I can tell you that I'm looking forward to his kingdom. And I will tell you that all throughout this book, God gives warning. But I always say warning equals love. Warning equals love. My parents um, warned me a lot as a kid. And, uh, you know, they just didn't want to see me hurt myself. And I only realized that years later, looking back, that I was annoyed with that and their warnings and their rules, but um, they were looking out for me. And God does the same thing in this book. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to take our fun away. He knows what's best for us, right? Okay, verse 7, continuing on. He says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him, meaning the Lord, the glory, for the marriage of a lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, 
Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So two out of four is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is also not often taught in some denominations. It's almost like anything that takes away the monotony of this life, the temporal world, in some denominations, there's nothing further than that talked about, which puts religious institutions in the same category as the part of the bifurcation of temporal Babylon, right? This religious and temporal Babylon. Very sad. It's infecting our culture. You know, we are being challenged as Christians. If somebody famous said to me, oh, you believe in that revelation, I'd be like, yeah, I taught it. You want to hear about it? I'm not, I'm not going to wither because public opinion is not for it. No, 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 you don't understand. Your impression is a wrong impression. Let me tell you what revelation is all about. And I would share the gospel with them. I would try to keep the sarcasm at a minimum if I could. So... Verse 7, the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now, some may read that and say, who is the Lamb and who is he marrying? And they think it's a literal Lamb. So a friend of mine, right, when we early in the early days of getting saved, we went to the church and, you know, we had worship and they were singing about the Lamb and we were singing about the Lamb and the Lamb. And so my friend was two people. It was his fiance. And she, she was brought up Jewish, right? So she's next to me, and then it's him. And she's singing the lamb and the lamb. And in the middle of the worship song, she taps me on the shoulder, and she goes, who's the lamb? <laughs> I said, it's Jesus. I'll explain it to you after service. You know what I'm saying? So it's, you know, when I teach, I have to realize that, and I remember that. That was a long time ago. I have to realize that sometimes people read Revelation for the first time. They have no, no idea who the lamb is. Why is he called the Lamb of God? Because he takes away the sin of the world. He was the fulfillment of the sacrifices in Leviticus. It's so deep. But, you know, again, the, the his, it's, it's hysterical that people think that we worship such a simple fairy tale faith. When you explain what the Lamb is, it's actually very deep. And there's a, um, a, a type which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the Lamb. Who is his wife? Now, symbolism again. It's us, right? Jesus died for the sins of the world. And for those that trust in him, believe in him for their salvation, we collectively make the bride and he's the groom. So again, these are symbols, but they're powerful symbols because, you know, when you read about what God says about marriage, they're very powerful symbols. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read to you uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. I read this at weddings. And I've done a lot of weddings and I get a lot of questions about this because some people think you got to watch how the apostle Paul is speaking about the husband and the wife. And then he switches mid verse to Jesus Christ and the church. And then he goes back to the husband and the wife and people, their heads are spinning. Let me read this to you. It says, let me start with 21. He tells us as husbands and wives to submit to one another in the fear of God or in the reverence of God. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. We just did a switch there. The husband is supposed to fulfill these roles, and the wife is supposed to fulfill roles. And when we're both fulfilling them, it works. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives 
How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he, Jesus, might sanctify, or off the husband and the wife again, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. We know about the word of God. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We're back on the husbands. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, he's quoting back to Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriages get into trouble when there's too many people in the marriage relationship and they muddy the waters. Great wisdom here. You leave your mother and father. Of course, you love them, you care for them, but emotionally and spiritually, the husband and wife now have to join to each other. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is fascinating because, and I can speak from my other pastors, when you get into marriage counseling, is something went wrong and the wife is saying he's not loving me like christ loved the church and he's saying well she doesn't respect me and they're at an impasse right however jesus didn't say i will go to the cross and die for your sins when all of you start behaving what jesus did was he said i love you so much even in your sinful state that i'm going to go die for your sins so that you could believe on me and have everlasting life So when you do marriage counseling and you go through the scripture, you have to say to the couple, if you're both going to be like that, or even if one is is immovable, this marriage, unfortunately, is headed for the courts. And that's a sad day. But I will tell you that, again, in my immaturity as a new husband, I quoted what I wanted to quote. My wife's watching on the the computer right now. She's probably laughing. But it's true. Immaturity. Immaturity. Immaturity, And I had to realize that Jesus, it isn't about how we feel. Love transcends feelings. Although Hollywood tells us that love is a feeling and love's not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is something that you do when you make that commitment and you don't break that commitment. So when Jesus speaks about us, when the Bible speaks about us, he speaks about us as Christ, as the perfect groom. And we collectively as the bride are joined to him. Ephesians 5.27, it says that how are we cleansed? And this is the problem sometimes with interpretation, sometimes with believers. We look at ourselves as, oh, my good works makes me a great person. No, it doesn't. Jesus dying for your sins makes you uh, worthy for God. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5.27, it says that Jesus would present the church to himself, a glorious church, because we're all wonderful? No. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing because we're perfect? No. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So verse 26 tells us that he sanctifies and cleanses us. Amen? That, that's how we get to that place. So it's pretty neat stuff there. And then from that point, we're able to do good works. We're able to, to glorify God. We're able to bless God. Ephesians 2 says we're ordained for good works. So, yes, we do our part and we are a light to the community, hopefully. But it's ultimately Christ that makes us able to be that light. 
He calls us to be the light. He calls us to be the salt. But we can't do it without him. We can't dissociate ourselves from the Lord. Very powerful. Now, in Jewish culture, right, I'm putting it all together, the bride would be at home preparing herself for the groom to come. This is Jewish culture in this period of time that this was written. She didn't know when her groom, right, when he was going to come to whisk her away and take her to the feast that he prepared and then take her to his home, usually as an extension of his father's home. Check this out in the scripture. When the Lord Jesus returns for us, we should be prepared. I mean, don't get me wrong, and I say this all the time. We could do small things, ministering to somebody, being a good listener, just being a person that is other-centered. You're doing good works. It's a wonderful thing. The Lord comes back. We don't know when he's going to come back. False teachings have predicted the end of the world. They've been wrong every time, obviously, up to now. And the groom um, also takes us to his father's house, John 14. When I studied that, right, he tells the disciples, I'm I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you. So you see the parallels in the scripture and what Jesus does with his church with the ancient customs of a Jewish wedding. Pretty neat, huh? In Matthew 22, the servants go out, the parable of the wedding feast, and they go to the highways and and to strangers, and they call everybody to this wonderful wedding, which is a picture of Christ, right? Even at the last moment, whatever you did, trust in Christ. He's forgiven your sins. He wants everybody to come, strangers, the highways, the byways. The servants went everywhere calling people to come to this. It was like an open uh, feast, but... Once the guests were in and once everybody was there, then that was it. The doors were closed. So now is the time. Today could be the day of salvation for somebody watching. I know this is a little heavy. Uh, Verse 9, it says, Blessed are those, back to Revelation, that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. My question to you is, if you have came into this church, maybe as a seeker, maybe you've never come up, maybe you've never said, you've asked the Lord to come into your life, Have you answered the call? Because if you're here right now and you're awake, God is feeding your soul and your mind through the scripture. And actually it takes an act of our will and resistance not to receive the call because it's such a beautiful call. What do I have to do? How much money do I need? Nothing. Do I have to have to come from a certain wealthy family? Absolutely not. Well, you don't know what I did Saturday night. God doesn't care. He wants to know now if you're ready to receive him. And believe me, I would sit in those pews too when the pastor Sunday after Sunday would call for somebody to come up. And I had all the excuses in my mind, but this, but that. And eventually I just gave in to him. And here I am today. I want to read for you one more scripture and then we're going to wrap it, wrap it up. First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. This is the picture. This is... So, in, in the Apostle Paul's day, the Thessalonians, they were some concerned. They were a little concerned that maybe they missed the Lord's return. Why? Because Christians understood that the Lord could come at any time. It wasn't an announcement. He just came for us. It's an awesome thing. hasn't happened yet. What we know is the harpazo uh, in the Greek, also understood as the rapture, transliterated words. But verse 13, the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonian church, 
But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, which was euphemistic for those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If you don't know Christ and you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you have no hope. And, and God doesn't want that. He wants you to have that hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or who died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who, who have died. So there's even an order of, of this. Everything God does is meticulous and it's in order and there's a reason for those orders. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, hasn't happened yet, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Didn't we see after uh, the resurrection that in Jerusalem people saw the graves opened up, right? The, uh, the, the um, first fruits, the main harvest, and then the gleanings. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, or that word is harpazo, to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And we still comfort one another with these words. When I deal with Christians who watch a lot of TV and they get scared and they're in fear, I'm like, you know what? The Lord could come at any time. Just keep doing what he's called you to do. Can I tell you something, folks? Everyone in this room, I know pretty much most, if not all of you, we don't have any power to change anything. So I'm not here, trust me, but with all the stuff going on in the news, uh, I'm not here to say, let's start a revolution. None of that stuff. The Lord has it all wired. And every country and, and we're getting there gets to a point where even representative government over the years, the power shifts from the people to those in charge. So I don't want to sound fatalistic, but my hope is in the Lord, not that anything is going to change in our country. Amen? So let me just leave you with this one um, illustration, and then I'm going to, to wrap it up. Human history since the fall, since, unfortunately, since sin entered the world and people end up perishing because of sin. That wasn't the original plan that God had, but humankind changed that. So basically, uh, it was sort of, if you're looking at a timeline, human history, it goes, it goes, it goes. And when somebody perishes in the Lord or before Christ, up to, uh, Romans 4, and they go to be with the Lord, um, they just kind of, they go to heaven, right? But human history marches on. There's going to be a point in time when you read this and you read uh, 1 Corinthians 15 about how our bodies are changed as a glory of the terrestrial body, which is ours. And it is glorious, even in its fallen state. It does amazing things, the human body. I love studying it. Uh, and then there's a glory of the celestial body, which is where the bodies change to be able to live forever in the conditions of the spiritual world, right? We're not in an atom-based system anymore, not a D-A-M, but A-T-O-M, okay? So it, it changes when we die and we get our new bodies. But, and it makes sense because if you're in heaven, this body is not, it's not going to do it, all right? Um, so if you die in the Lord and, and you're persons with the Lord now, they're with the Lord. 
their consciousness, their spirit. But there will come a point, 1 Corinthians 15, where our bodies are changed to, to match the, the climate, so to speak, of the eternal world. So what happens in, in this scripture is the, the human race continues, continues, continues. And there is a point in time where God decides before the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist and all that stuff, where there's another bifurcation, another split. And this has never happened since the beginning of time, where the human race now changes. In this moment, in First Thessalonians 4, where the Lord calls his believers up, what happens is this. They go up, we go up, if you're in the Lord, and we're enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb and all the things that happen while the last seven-year period, according to Daniel 9 and other scripture, Matthew 24, etc., um, continues down here. So for the first time in history, there's a parallel happening as time marches on, first year, second year, third year. I don't want to get out of the range of the, of the camera, so I'll stop right here. And uh, then what happens is the Lord, at the end of Revelation 19, the Lord returns with his saints, and then he rules. And that's according to Daniel 2 and the kingdom that lasts forever, the stone uncut with human hands that fills the entire earth. So it's pretty neat. Um, I think what I'm going to do is when I, when I kind of go into this heavy, I'm going to put a timeline up and just use the pointer to, because for some people it's like, this is, it's just, you know, it's, it's easy. It's, to understand it is one thing, to teach it is something different. So I'll use visual aid. So when this particular thing happens, right, human race, um, the Lord calls us to heaven. Boom, immediately we're up. There's a parallel marriage supper of the Lamb. The heavenlies, awesome. We're up there. New bodies. And the world continues. The Antichrist, blah, blah, blah. And then the end of Revelation 19, the Lord returns. He vanquishes the Antichrist. Battle of Armageddon. We get to the thousand years period. So I'll, I'll do some visual aids too. Last verse, verse 10, it says, verse 10. There's a lot in here. It's only 10 verses. So John, <laughs> he just, he's just honest, right? As we all should be honest. He expresses and he does this twice, his reaction to this whole thing. He says, and I fell at his feet, meaning the angel. And the angel's a tour guide. He's showing him everything. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Three out of three is John falls at the feet of the angel. I don't want to make too much of this. Um, what we learn in this verse is that only God gets worship. Some people, for some reason, worship angels. You get a really good description of what an angel looks like in the scripture, kind of cool. People make drawings, and then they kind of worship them, which is unusual because God made the angels. So only worship God. Today, there are cults that teach angel worship, that teach man worship. Um, I will say this too, and not everybody in every denomination does everything the same way. So don't get offended, but Mary and the saints uh, are not to be worshiped. Uh, the only one who gets worshiped is God, period. End of story. Right? We look in the heavenly, in the throne room, Revelation 4, Revelation 5, there's these creatures and they're almost like God's pets, kind of cool. Then there's different orders of angels and there's people, there's saints. And it's like, um, I think what happened to John was he got sensory overload. So it happens to kids sometimes and they just kind of crash. So I think John was so blown away as a human being by what he saw. He just 
falls down to worship, doesn't realize full. I'm just, I'm John's defense attorney here. Sorry. Um, but the angel says, I am your fellow servant. Remember, don't make angels or any created being more than what they are. The angels are just, the angels have more similarity, believe it or not, to us than they do with God. And the similarity is we were created. They were created. God had no beginning. He has no end. He's, he's the only one who gets to be worshiped. Last four out of four is, I'll put up the image of the cross. I saw this in the meme, and I try to hunt it down, and it looks to me like maybe the Mojave Desert or something where they had these crosses, big crosses, and then they have these ice storms, and picture is worth a thousand words, right? Picture is worth a thousand words, especially with this miserable February weather. With the ice, please be careful out there. Uh, it got so slippery last night and this morning. But you see this cross was built, and it took the brunt of that storm and the ice. And I've seen these formations, actually. The ice, um, it froze, and it's so heavy and so thick. And ice molecules, when, when ice comes together, it's a, it's a different molecular structure when it's actually in the state of a liquid or a gas. Incredible how this happens. So... February, look to that. Um, the state of 2021, look to that. And I just would say, look to God. Look to God. It gets better from here because as we go through these next few chapters, this is our future. And again, I, I actually try to put myself in my shoes before I was saved. And I think to myself, what if I wasn't saved and I saw everything that happened the last year? How would I feel? And folks, I don't say this to denigrate anybody. I try to comfort people. I got friends on social media. They don't know the Lord. Some of them are on the left. Some of them are on the right. I send them inboxes. I say, let's meet for breakfast. Like they're just melting. They're just having meltdowns on social media. They're freaking out. Uh, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. We don't live in a good time. And that's one thing that should unite us. It's Jesus Christ that has all the answers, you know, um, Everything's changing, and it's changing at breakneck speed. And a lot of it's not changing for the good. But I suspect to you, or I, I submit to you, that this is the mechanism to break down life as we know it to move us forcefully into this globalist agenda. Um, if I could speak, I have to be very careful with my words. If I could try to think how Satan thinks, he must know that his days are very short and he's pulling out all the stops stuff that used to be secret is now in the open things we wouldn't think that we would agree to in this nation are now commonplace and we're but folks we're to love was to hate the sin but love the sinner you know i talked about this in our last q a session i meet people regularly that are atheists that are aggressive and I let them just speak. It's like just Pastor Joe, just shut up. Let them talk. And and one of the things I talked about in our QA session was that people have been hurt by religion. They've been hurt by clergy. So I've learned over the years that when somebody's hostile to what I believe, I don't need to defend God. He's God. Just listen. And sometimes if they get it off there, there's a lot of people who are just angry out there. And can I tell you something? Anger, if you study psychology, is a covering for fear. Fear is a very difficult thing for any human being, especially guys, to deal with. So oftentimes we cover it with anger. 
it's a, it's a more acceptable emotion in the human psyche. So I just want to encourage you. I'm here and I'm teaching this so that we have the answers. Now, how you present it to your unsafe friends, maybe you don't want to do what I did, bombard them 40 minutes of an avalanche. Maybe take selective things out and just say, listen, it's going to get better from here. God knew all this. It was going to happen. You know what? Some people, they react better because they're like, well, how did you know that? Well, it doesn't make me special. It's in his word. And any Christian who reads the Bible and studies it, they're, they're cool. We're balanced. So I want to encourage you with that. And I'm getting a lot of emails, a lot of texts, and a lot of really good feedback over how people are using the uh, Revelation series and applying it to their lives with people that they know. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.